Are you here this morning to hear the word of the Lord? Amen. How wonderful it is that we have this book we call the Holy Bible. It is not just a Bible. It's not just a book. It is the Holy Scriptures, actually. We call it the Holy Bible, but it's the Holy Scriptures. Why is it the Holy Scriptures? Because it talks about a holy God. It gives us the mind about a holy God. Within your hands, I know it is papers and everything, but you hold in your hands the history, the mind, everything about God. Amen? And we learn from that. How wonderful is that? We learn out of this book. Today, I want to talk to you about an encouraged heart. An encouraged heart. Who knows what that is? That is what my sister demonstrated walking in here this morning. Encouraging people. And it is so easy to break down. It is difficult to build. Who knows that? And an encouraged heart is somebody who builds. This is what I want to focus on today as we open up again in our study in the book of Colossians in chapter 2 from verse 1 to 7. But let's read from chapter 1 verse 28. The word of God. He says in Colossians chapter 1 28, Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. If you want to teach somebody, make sure that you teach them in all wisdom. This is what he says. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Within you there is no perfectness, nothing. But we are perfect in who? In Christ Jesus. And this is what the apostle says. He says, to this end I also labor, striving according to His work, which works in me mightily. We're going to look at that verse in a minute. Chapter 2 verse 1, he says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged. There's our verse. You see that? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. How wonderful is those words. And attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom. In whom? In Christ is hidden what? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and establishing the faith. And as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the public reading of Your Word. And though I close the laptop and close my Bible and go out of this place, get in my car and go home, I'm so satisfied and glad that Your Word has been read this morning, and there were ears who could hear it. Thank you for your word this morning. And Father, as I'm preaching today to people standing here this morning, I pray that you touch my mind, my lips. Give me vocabulary, Father. Give me peace of heart. And Father, give me the wisdom from above to preach this word in spirit and truth. Amen. So we are busy looking at Colossians. Paul is writing this letter to this church in Colossae, but we can also say that he's actually writing this letter to us here in Karam Downs. If you want to, you can change it and say the letter to Karam Downs, because as much as it was written for them in their day, it's written to us. We, like them, are living in a dangerous world. We, like them, are living in a world where they persecute Christians. Not maybe physically right here in Melbourne, Australia right now, 
but certainly there is persecution coming for a lot of Christians in a lot of parts of the world. But the bigger danger here for this church, as we've seen, is these people who's coming in and the errors that is pressing upon the church. And this is what Paul addresses. Epaphras came to him and he said to him, Paul, we've got this church there in Colossa. Lydiasia was another one and Hierapolis. There's these three cities close to each other. And there were churches there. And I can just think in my mind that these churches were communicating between each other. They had fellowship with one another. Brother and sister, fellowship is important for you and for me. We need to fellowship with one another. Coming here on a Sunday is wonderful. It is great for me to see you come in. You know, when Brett walks in this morning, it's great to see his face. And we fellowship immediately. The same with Andre and Eugene. It's great to see that when our brothers and sisters go away on holiday, and we, we ask and pray that God would bless them. And, and when they come back, and you could see how refreshed they are, that's good for our hearts. It's good to come together. And I can only think that these churches there, Colossae and Hierapolis, and all of these churches, they fellowship with one another. But they have challenges like we have. The pressing challenge for this church here in Colossae is a few things. First of all, they had enticing words that started coming in. It's enticing words. These enticing words means it's tempting or luring words. If you lure somebody away, you give them words that makes him feel good, but it's not good for them. It's like rat poison. Who knows what's rat poison? 95% of the food in rat poison is good. Rats can eat it and they can live forever. Well, not forever, until they die. But they can eat it and live. The 5% of poison that's in that food will kill them. And this is what enticing words does. And we're going to look at all of these ones over the next few months. In verse 4 he says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. That's a warning to them. Is it happening in our day and age? You betcha, it happens in our day and age. Enticing words. Now let me pull it away from church. Is it happening in your life? Yes, you will come people who comes to you and they will just give you enticing words to lure you away, to, to get onto their side. It is flattery words with no substance. It's like popcorn. Have you seen popcorn? You can fill a whole big bowl of popcorn. But the substance, when you break it down, could be a fistful of a big bowl like that. A fistful. There's no weight in it. It's like candy floss. Do you want more examples? And this is what persuasive words is. And you've got to be watching out for them, Paul says. Another one is philosophy. There in verse 8, he, he, he says, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. God willing, we'll come to that part next week when we talk about philosophy. But here, friends, he says, And empty deceit according to the tradition of men. Philosophy is tied to the tradition of men. Tradition is killing people. This is what it is. And, and he says here, be warned for that. And he has taken it, uh, 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 a bigger part, and he says, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. He warns them. And then another thing that was going to come in and try to take it away, and in our day, is legalism. Legalism is rife in the church to bring people under law. And it's not under the law of Christ people want to bring you under. It's under their law. Under man's law. It's in other words, I'll come over to you Lydia and I'll say, this is how I interpret it and I'm going to put some laws on you. And this is what he warns us about. This is what he says, watch out for those kind of things. And he wants it there in, uh, in verse 14, he says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. Who did that? Come on, you tell me. Who wiped out the handwritings of requirements? Jesus. He wiped them out. But look, how did he wipe them out? He fulfilled them to the letter so that we through him now obey those. But look at it, he says it in his words, he says, he wiped out the 
the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having done what? Nailed it to the cross. And you should shout hallelujah. The handwritings of requirements. If you came in here this morning and I said, look, if you want to be participating in this church, I've got a requirement for you. Every man from next Sunday will have to wear a blue shirt. Who's coming to church next Sunday? <laughs> uh, all the ladies, you shall wear a hat. Oh, now I'm getting really touchy. <laughs> this week, they're going to make a lot of money out of selling hats and blue shirts. Some retailer. But that's man's law. And he says, look, we don't need that. Look, I'm, I'm bringing it down to that. But what he's talking about here is the law, the commandments, which, yes, we are still under, but we're under the commandments through Christ. That's why he nailed them to the cross. And then also mysticism was another one, and it's so rife in our day, this one. In verse 18, he warns them, he says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. In false humility and worshiping of angels. Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by the fleshly mind. So he warns this church. He says, look, there's going to be enticing words, philosophy, legalism, mysticism, and this word here, ascetism. What does that mean? I've put it there next for you. Self-denial. And we see a lot of this happening in the church. Self-denial. Let me read the verse and I'll explain. In verse 20 he says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself in regulations? Think about that. He asks a question there. He says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles in the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations, do not ask, do not taste, do not handle? We're going to have a whole sermon around that. Don't you worry. I'm just touching on it. But there are people coming in and they say, look, I know that this thing I do is a sin. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to try so hard this week. I'm not going to do that thing. And I often give you this example of myself. I absolutely love Black Forest cake I just love it if you want to entice me into something put me a big black forest cake right there and I'm starting looking at that and go can I just get the sermon over I can dig into that cake I want to eat it I can taste it if you go to Costco have you, go, have you gone to Costco some of you have you seen those big come on <laughs> Robin you've seen it yeah those big black forest. Man, I'm not, uh, this is this big, am I right? And every time I walk through the Janela, I go, man, I better walk past it, but I cannot. And when I go past there, I see, and I want to buy four of those big ones. Therein lies the problem. Now, now the thing is, I don't, because I know what's good for me. But if I buy one of those, and I put that enticement and temptation in my fridge at home. What is the chances that I'm going to dig into that cake? You tell me. Because while I'm sitting in front of my computer reading my Bible, and I go, Lord, I shall not be tempted. What is eating away in my mind in the back here? <laughs> only one small piece. Am, am I only talking to myself? Only one small piece. And I promise, my, look, I promise myself it's only going to be a piece like that, a paper-thin piece. But when I sit down after I've walked to the fridge and open it, how big is the piece? <laughs> you see, this is the thing, dear friends, is then I get myself and I say, Thou shalt not eat that cake. It's a law. And I, and I do this thing here and I make a law out of that thing. I make a law out of it. I know it's just bringing it down to this level. But there are people 
who would even hurt themselves to obey things. They will hit themselves with things on the back to, to bring themselves into disciplining some of the laws. And he says, watch out because there's people coming in. They want to take you away from the grace of God, from the freedom in Christ and put you under this law. Can we throw the Bible away now? No. No, there's so much in here that we need to still obey. But we obey it in one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Yes? And this is what he's talking about there. Now, let's look at this now. How do you, how do you address enticing words, Paul? Paul, how do you address philosophy and legal, legality and mysticism and self-denial? There's only one way that he offers them. Look at this now. He says in Colossians 1.28, him we preach. Who's the him? Yes. This is what we do. So if somebody come with enticing words and all these philosophies which we see rife in our day, isn't it true? I mean, you go on the internet and you get all of these false wafts of things going on on the internet. And all they are after is your mind. They want followers. Because they know if they get followers, they get your money. They get you supporting them. But he says the only way that we can do this, talking against these false things coming into the church, Him we preach. Him we preach. Friends, I want to stand in front of you and for the next, how long the Lord sustains me, I only want to preach one thing to you, and it is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If I start preaching any other thing from this pulpit, please run for the door. Now, you won't hear a lot of preachers saying that, will you? But we've got to be truthful to the Word of God. And this is what he says. Him we preach. And how do we preach him? We warn every man, teach every man in all wisdom that we may present him perfect. Look, he said it in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 4 as well. Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul writes to Corinthians, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, what is mercy? Not getting what you deserve, which is death. He says we received this we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. What is that? Sin. Let me tell you something. The devil wants you to have secrets. He wants you to have secrets. Secrets is in the dark. Between husband and wife, he wants you to have secrets. That's the split. Between brothers and sisters in the church, he wants to have secrets. That's the split. Between you and your children, he wants secrets. That's the split. Sin is conducted in secret. Have you noticed? The things which you're not... I mean, anybody can't come up here and say, you know what, last week I did this thing, I feel very ashamed of it. You don't want to expose it. Because the devil says, no, no, keep it undercover. And here Paul says, he says, we have renounced the hidden things of what? Of shame. How do we renounce it? We bring it into the light. We bring it into the light. In South Africa, we had a steakhouse for 20 years. And what do you find in steakhouse? You find heat. And you find dark corners. And if you've got heat in dark corners, what do you find in there? We see that? Cockroaches. They love the place. And I remember so many times, Tim, when I go in there by the day and you open up, because the, the, it was closed by day in the morning when we get there, and you open up the front door and you walk in, what do you see running? Cockroaches. Why do they run? And where do they run? They run for the dark corners. Why? Because the light has exposed them. That's the same with sin, friend. Sin, the light exposes sin. And here Paul says, he says, not walking in the craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitful, but by manifestation of the truth, commencing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the gods of the age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves. Whoa. Do you see a lot of self-preaching these days? Just go and listen for yourself. 
Just go listen to people who come up to the pulpit and for the next 20 minutes they talk about themselves. It happens in our day, friends. We have to be careful of that. I'm not talking somebody coming up and giving a testimony and say how God has saved them. But even that, if you want to bring a testimony, for maybe two minutes you tell the people how bad you were and how you realize you're a sinner. But for the next 20 minutes you tell about how God saved your wrecked soul. But here he says we do not preach ourselves. Could Paul preach himself? Oh yes, he could. He could. He had so much to say about himself. But you know what I hear him say? In Romans, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. You see, it wasn't about him. It was about God. And he says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants of Jesus' sake. Christ comes first. And that is what he says. So how do we address these things coming into the church? He says, him we preach and that is so true. Now, I want you to show you how Paul did this. Look at this now. In verse 29, he says, To this end, I also labor, striving according to his work. And then in Colossians 2 verse 1, he says, For I want you to know the great conflict. You see those words there? The words is an athletic words that he used. And Paul uses a lot of athletic words in his, in his letters that he writes. Remember, he was living in the Roman time, the Greek-Roman time. And athleticism was the rife. The human who could build himself up to compete at the highest level was rife in his day. And there's a lot of athletics that happened. And he applies some of these words to his things. He's, look at the first of all, the word labor there gives you the idea of doing something that you're going to grow weary in. He thinks of these churches and he grows weary in how he prays for them. But then he uses two words. He says, striving according to his work. He says, the word striving there, it means to enter into a contest. And then he uses the word conflict, which comes from the Greek word agon. And that's where we find our English word agony from. And that means to the place of contest. So what is Paul saying here? He says, on your behalf, I've got agony. On your behalf. Have you got that for the church today? Agony for the church? Remember, he hasn't seen these people. He tells them. He says, I haven't seen you. But still he's got agony for them. Can you think of a church, maybe in China? Or in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to Japan. I'm already praying for Japan. I thought, this morning I was, I was driving here, I want to go onto the internet and find a Christian church in Japan. How cool will that be if I can find a Christian church in Tokyo and can visit them, me and Leonie and Sharia? How cool will that be? But you know what, I don't even know those brothers there. If there is one or not, but if we're going to get there, I'm already praying for them. I don't know. Maybe their name is C. Louis or Lee C. I don't know. But I want to say, Lord, I want to have agony for those Christians in Japan. Let's pray for your brothers and sisters, although we don't know them. Let's have agony for them. And what does he say? He says he's got a great conflict for them and for the people in Laodicea. He, had, he doesn't even know them. But he's got agony for them. Why? Because he found this account that came back and said that there is, there is a, a falsities that's starting to come into the church. Now look at this here. This sentence here. He says, he says, to this end I also labor. In other words, it is taking something from him. He's growing weary in how he labor for them, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. How is he doing this? The word therefore mightily comes from the word dunamis. Dunamis, that's the Greek word he uses there. And guess where we find this word as well? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8. What happens in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Jesus before he ascended on high, he turns to his disciples and he says to them, you will receive power. Everybody say power. You will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to Judea and to the ends of the world. The word that he uses there for power is the word dunamis. Dunamis is the word where we find English words from like dynamite. Dynamite comes from dunamis. So what happened on the day of Pentecost? 
they were all 120 in the upper room. And then there was a noise as of a mighty rushing wind. And what happened? There was tongues of fire that come and sat upon them. And they went out of that room. 120 of them who was fearful up there. Because remember they were persecuted. But when the Spirit of God came upon them, they went out. And then they started talking in tongues. Now let me just say about those tongues. Those weren't gibberish tongues they were talking about. They were talking in languages of people who visited Jerusalem. That was the miracle. It is, it is like when I can't speak Malayal, can I, for the life of me. But let's say I walk up in, and there's this person and, and, and the Lord lays upon my heart to share the gospel to that person. And he speaks Malayal and I start speaking in perfect Malayal. Will that be a miracle? And this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. It was like a dynamite that exploded. Boom! And this is what he said to them. He said, you will receive power. You will receive dynamis. You will receive dynamite. The problem today in the church is that, that most of the Pentecostal churches just grabbed onto the dynamite. They just say, Lord, every time we come together, we want the dynamite. Things need to happen. That's not the only word that we find for that word dynamis. Another English word that we find for that word is dynamo. Do you know what a dynamo is? A dynamo is something that keeps on going on and on and on and on and on. Now, what did he say? He said, when you come together, you will receive the dynamite. Yes. And it happened. A miracle happened. But then, if you read the verse further on, he says, to be what? To be my witnesses. Witnesses. The, I'm just throwing it in here. This is just coming. It's not on the board. So you, if you want this afterwards, I can give this to you, okay? So what is the Greek word for witnesses in the New Testament? It's the word martyr. Do you know what the word martyr means? It means to die for what you believe in. So what is Jesus telling them? He says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, He says, you will receive power, dunamis, dynamite, and dynamo to continue on and on and on to witness about Christ. But you will die for that. You will die for that. And then in, in Revelation, Jesus comes and, he, and He's the first witness, the first, and He uses again that word martyr. How wonderful is that? And here Paul says, he says the same thing, he says, To this end also I labor, I agonize on your behalf. Do you know that he's speaking through the chasms of time? This, the Bible wasn't only written for Colossians, it was written for you. Let me bring it home for you. He is saying, Carol is saying, that I have got agony for Carol this morning. This is what Paul's saying. You say, where are you going with this? I'm telling you today that God is outside of time. You and I are living in time. Isn't it right, Glenn? You've got a birthday that you can say, this day I was born. And every year we celebrate that day with your birthday and we sing happy birthday for you. And you count them up as, and you come to 60, 70, 80, 90. And if you're very strong, you hit 100. But that's your lifespan. God do not have a birthday, friends. Oh, but we've got Christmas and this is... No, no, no. That's, that's not God's birthday. And here it is, friends. He, he says, I've got agony for you. I strive for you according to his working, which works in me in dunamis. You know what Paul had? He had that dynamo. And you know what God wants you and me to have in this place this morning? He wants you to have that dynamo power to be his witness. That's what he wants. How wonderful is that? To realize Look, I can continue on about the power of God. You remember back in Zechariah? In Zechariah, God sends, sends Zechariah to encourage the people to rebuild. And you know what word he gives them? He says, go and tell Zerubbabel, the king, tell him, it's not by might, not by power, but by, come on, you say it, you know the scripture verse, by my spirit. Friends, if you sit here today and you try to live this Christian life by your own might and by your own power, you're going to grow weary. You're going to wear yourself out and eventually you're going to chuck in the towel. You're going to say, that's it, I can't do it anymore. I've heard so many people in life tell me I'm going to lose my faith. And I go, how in the world can you lose your faith? I'll tell you why you want to lose your faith. is because you do not operate in the Spirit of God. 
He says, I do this. I continue doing this. In me by the might, the dunamis of Jesus Christ, of God, the Holy Spirit. And it is so wonderful. Now what did Paul desire for these people? Remember, he says, I strive for you. I've got current conflict. I've got agony for you. So what did he want to see in the church? First of all, he wanted to see encouragement. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes. In verse 2 he says, that their hearts may be encouraged. How wonderful is it to understand this word encouragement. It comes from, a, and this is where it gets really interesting. Look, by the way, if you do not know me, I love to go back into the Greek and look at the words. I'm not a scholar of Greeks. So I'm putting it out there. I'm not a professor in Greek. I can't speak Greek. But I'll tell you one thing, friends. Once you go back into the Word of God and you go back to Greek in which it was written, you'd be blessed. Absolutely so may God bless you with this. Look at this now. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. The Greek word used there for encouraged is parakaleo. Parakaleo. It's used 105 times in the New Testament for the word encouragement. 105 times. Parakaleo. It comes from two words. It comes from the word para. It means to come alongside. That's what the word means. That means if you are walking on a road and there you are and you continue walking and you're starting to get tired, somebody comes alongside you and they put their arms around you and they strengthen you and they walk with you. You get the picture? That's what para means. Now, when you add the second word cleo onto it, it means to console, to comfort and to encourage. So para kaleo. It means that somebody will come alongside you. And they will comfort you. And they will console you. And they will encourage you. This is what Paul wants for that church. And you know who's going to give it? The people in the church. You are going to encourage each other. This is what he's praying for. Now this is really interesting. Because if we look at John chapter 14 verse 16. He, he says this. This is Jesus to his disciples. He says, and I will pray the Father. Who's going to pray? Jesus. He says, I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter. A comforter. So that He may be with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him nor know Him. But you know Him for He dwells with you and shall be in you. You get that? Now look at this friends. He uses, when he writes this down, John, when he writes this down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit using Greek, we are working in a translated one, which is English. The word that we use in English for that word there, comforter, is comforter or helper. That word there in Greek is parakletos. Wow. Parakletos. What does that mean? Remember para means to come alongside and kletos now means to strengthen. To strengthen. Now who's the comforter? It's the Holy Spirit. So now he says to them, Jesus himself, he says I'm going to pray the Father because listen to me, you are going to need strength. Who knows that? Who needs strength in this life? He looked at these disciples with him. Who is their strength at that point in time? Him. Him, the person, is their strength. Wherever Jesus went, they went. Wherever he sat down and eat, where did they eat? With him. This is what John says in his letter. He says in John chapter 1 verse 1, he says, Him who we've perceived, who we've seen, who we've touched. He, he was with them. But he knew he couldn't stay with them. It would have been really, really, and he could have done that. Jesus Christ could have been still alive as a man today. He was God with us. But if that had happened, you, you could throw the whole Bible away. No, no, he knew he had to go. So he says, listen, you are going to need strength because you're going to grow weary, tired. You're going to get into trouble, everything. You need a strength. You need somebody to come alongside you and strengthen you. And I'm going to pray to the Father and He's going to send Him to you. 
And by the way, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it to you again. This is where we find our word parachute. What is a parachute? If you jump out of an airplane, what do you do? If you haven't got a parachute, you're in trouble. Okay, we all know that. Boom. Parachute is what? The word parachute means para is that thing that's going to come alongside you, in this case above you. And what's it going to do? It's going to strengthen you to float down to the earth. That's where parachute comes from. And what about paramedic? You remember the word paramedic? So you're in trouble now. And you're lying there next to the road and, and your, your leg is broken and you can't. And they call a paramedic in. What does he do? He comes alongside you and it's medic. He's got the medical faculty to help you, to strengthen you, to lift you up. Isn't it wonderful? How wonderful is the Word of God? But here is where it gets really more exciting for me, where I get so excited, I need to pray, and I need to say, Lord, just keep me so I can speak properly now. This is the amazing thing, friends. He says parakaleo there, which is the word that Paul uses, but John uses the word parakletos, which he talks about the Holy Spirit, because in John 14, 26, we read that. He says, but the comforter, comma, who's, who's that? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you to do all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. Somebody asked me once, how could these men have written the Bible? Did they walk around with their little notepads every time Jesus spoke? No. They followed Him. And the Holy Spirit brought everything He did into remembrance. The Bible is breathed by God. It's not written by man's knowledge and wisdom and little notes they've made. It was inspired by God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says that. And here he says it now. He says, and whatever I've said to you, we will bring it into remembrance. And then he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives peace. Let your heart not be troubled. Listen friends, our hearts are encouraged when it's filled with joy and peace. Is that true? If your heart is filled with joy and peace, you're encouraged. But then you need to become an encourager. It said it there in Romans chapter 15 verse 13. He says, And may God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the Word of God because it's in, it, it is every single thread you pull, the Holy Spirit is in that thread. And every single string that you pull out, hope is in that thread. And every string that you pull, faith is in that thread. It's all intertwined. It's, it's so you can't have, you cannot have the Word of God without the Holy Spirit. And here he goes and he calls it a comforter. Now there's two kinds of encouragement that the Bible talks about. Two. One encouragement comes from God. This is this, the parakletos. The Holy Spirit. And where is the Holy Spirit going to be? What does the word say? He's going to be with you. Do you, want, do you want to understand that word? Touch the person next to you. Just, just quickly touch the person next to you. That person is with you. Yes? But is that the only place? No. He's going to be in you. Now, I, I can't touch that, okay? We can't say touch that because it's in you. Isn't that wonderful? That's the encouragement of God. The help of God. The one who's going to console you, the Holy Spirit. The one who's going to comfort you, the Holy Spirit. That comes from God. But then there's a second kind of encouragement, friends, which I believe Paul is touching on when he writes to them and says that their hearts may be encouraged. Yes, their hearts be encouraged by God, but that's a given. If you come to Christ and you, and you submit to Him and you confess your sin and He saves you, He sends His Holy Spirit into you at that point in time. Why? Because He knows you need strength. So many children of God, or so many people in the church operate without the Holy Spirit of God. And I honestly question mark their salvation. You cannot call yourself a child of God if the Spirit is not in you. Because that happens when you, when you come to Him and you say, Father, please forgive me my sins. And He saves you and you are born again according to the Word of God. What does He do? He puts into you the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I know there's people who talks about the baptism of the Spirit. But that's a, a, a separate message. At that point, He puts Him in you. To what? To strengthen you and to do this. Now, let's look at this encouragement from people, from us. What is the signs of an encourager? An encourager is one who inspires, who stimulates, and who supports others. Do you know people like that? When I read that to you, who's the first name that came into your mind? Or even now, can you think of a person like that? Now let me ask you the question, if I read that to your friends, and to your colleagues at work, and to your Christian friends that you know, if I read that to them, will your name come up first in their minds? Will it? Are you an encourager? Are you the one who, who inspire people? Who stimulate them and who support others. I remember when I was at school, at high school, believe it or not, Andrew, I used to run long distances. I used to do two things in athletics. You look at me and you thought, ah, oh, shot put. You know, you've got big muscles. No, I, I didn't have the technique. Sorry to say. Technique gets you further than big muscles. It's the same in golf. If you play golf, you know, people look at me and they go, Oh, you must be hitting a ball a mile long. I know. Not because I'm big, no. It's, it's technique. But then I found out quickly that if you run, you don't have to have technique. So I started doing two things. Well, some will, some will say you have to have technique, but that's easier to learn. So one was walking. Do you, have you seen this in athletics? It was really funny. Honestly, if you walk, you have to do that thing. You need to walk like this. And it looks really funny because your, your knee needs to lock before you row over the ball of your foot. And that's why it looks so funny. Have you seen it, some of you? It looks really funny, and I did it. Honestly, I did that. I still got a record, I think, at the school where it was. And the only reason I think I've got the record is that day there was only three participants. <laughs> so anyway, long story. So I did that, okay? You walk that thing. But the other thing I also like to do is to run long distances in athletics. And you go around and around and around. But you know what I remembered when I read this? I remembered one day I was running, I think it was a three kilometers race or something. And you have to go, I think, 12 times around the course. I don't know how many times. But you know one thing it was. When I came to round number seven and you start running and you're getting tired and the legs are hurting and you, you're, you know, everything is burning up here. And as you come around the corner, you know what was there? There was a supporter group on the side. And my nickname in school, don't laugh at this, but was Shippy. Shippy like a ship on the water. They called me Shippy. It's short for shipman. And you know what was really nice about it? As I came around that corner, there they were. Come on, Shippy. Come on, Shippy. You can do it. Come on, Shippy. What were they? They were encouragers. And, and somehow, somehow, Kali, somehow I forgot about the pain in my legs. And somehow there wasn't a burn in my chest anymore. And, and just for that short space in time, I got a burst. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go fast. <laughs> and just as you come around the corner, the supporters is gone. And what, what do I think about immediately? Oh, and now the pain is even worse in my legs, you know. I mean, and, and my chest is burning even harder. And then I go around and I'm just, I'm just recovering from that burst. And there they are again. Shabby, shabby. And what happens? Burst happens again. Now, did I win the race? No. I burned myself out, but that's another story. What is the point here, friends? The point here is we all love encouragers. And when we get somebody to encourage you, and, and I'm talking on human level now, friends. God encourages every day through His Spirit. I hope you see what I'm trying to tell you. But we need to encourage each other. When you encourage someone, you give them the courage and the confidence to do something. To do something. Come on. You can do it. I know you're going through a difficult time. I know you're working through stuff here. But let me just be there for you. Let me just help you along the way. Come on, brother, sister. I'll put my arm under you and just carry you a little bit. And this is what he's got agony about. You see, the Bible's definition of an encourager is this. Someone who put others' interest above his own. Immediately, can you think of a name of somebody that you know who put others' interests above their own? Are you one of those people? 
Look, he says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 1, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those who live in Laodicea. Who says these words? Paul. Where was he at that point in time? Who knows? He was in Rome. Was he lying on the beach? Did he have a Coca-Cola there lying on the beach and say, I want you to know. No, no. Where was he in Rome? He was in prison. He was struggling himself. But instead of writing to them and saying, Oh, I've got this difficult time, you know, I've got to sit with this Roman shoulder. He's thinking, man, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm chained to him. And, and I don't think he's had a bath for two or three days. I have to sit with this guy all this time. And, and you know, the food is terrible. Did he do that? He wasn't even thinking about himself. But he had agony for them. That's an encourager. That's the first sign of an encourager who puts others' interests above his own. And you know what? The Bible, and, and look, there's, a, there's an exhausted list. I only picked out three for time's sake. Uh, uh, an encourager never thinks of himself higher than others. Think about that. In any circumstance or situation. He never thinks of himself higher than others. Uh, again, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That is the biggest problem in our day today. That is why relationships break down. Those few words there. It's all about me and my rights, isn't it? You're impeding on my rights now. But set your mind to be right-minded, even as God has dealt with every man in a measure. You see the Bible, another definition in the Bible for an encourager is something, somebody who seemed to have the right word at the right time. Do you know people like that? They've got the right word just at the right time, encouraging and uplifting people in honesty. Sometimes that word might be a negative word for you. I'm not talking about negativity, but you might perceive it. It might be something you do. And because you're doing that wrong thing, it's bringing you down. It is, and somebody steps in. Listen, Paul says, exhorting you. So you've got to tell the truth. Hey, brother, sister, the thing that you do is a sin before God, and that's why you're struggling. Are you going to enjoy that word? No. But it is still a word of encouragement. And here, in Job chapter 6, verse 25, he says, right words are powerful. Isn't that right? How many times have you sat in a sermon and you feel the man is just preaching for you? Who told him all my secrets? How did he know that? No, no, it's the Holy Spirit. And then what about Proverbs 16, 24 when he says, Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Isn't it wonderful? Health to the bones. You see, the ways that we can encourage people is to show them that you care by taking time to learn from them. And learn of them. Spend time with one another. Honestly, I, I thought about this. You know, sometimes I'm encouraged just by seeing people. Isn't it right? Seeing people coming in. It's wonderful. You know, even if we stand around here in the morning and you started arriving, I love to be at the door. Why? I honestly love when you come through these doors and, and you see, like this morning when Anne came in and she's so excited and uplifting and bubbly. And look, friends, that encourages me. Honestly, let me give you, let me testify. I woke up this morning with a terrible, terrible headache, a migraine. And I came to church, I honestly felt as if, you know, we all say this if a bus has hit you, you know, that, that. I came here this morning and, and I think I'm, I'm starting to get a, a cold. But you know what? When Anne walked through the door and she's so uplifting, man, it just picked me up a few lifts. Chick, 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 chick. There you go. And, and then I think about this word. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are like honeycomb. How wonderful is it? It lifts you. What does honeycomb do? There's sugar in it. It's honey. It's the good sugar, by the way. It's not the black forest sugar. But it's, it's the good thing. And you know what it does? It comes inside of you. And, and if you get somebody who's really drained and down and you give them a little bit of honeycomb, what happens? They suck it out of that honeycomb. And that sweetness comes into the body. And it gives a little bit more energy. That's what your words can do. That's what you can do. That's what you can do. Come on, that's what you can do. The world is full of naysayers. The world comes, you know, I listen to them. When I go to work, you get into the lift. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, what a terrible day. 
Why? Oh, trading outside. Okay. Terrible day. Let's all things is that. But you know what happens? Tomorrow you walk in and it's a nice day like today. You walk into the living Hey guys, how's it going? Oh, what a terrible day. Why? Wow, did you feel how humid and warm it is outside? And oh, goodness. Why do we go with this? But this is how we live. Be an encourager. This is what he writes to them. He says, uh, he, he says to them, I agonize because uh, uh, that your hearts may be encouraged and then be knit together. It's so wonderful, friends. Be an encourager. It's honestly, when you come, I, uh, you know, I always say to people, you do not belong to me and I don't belong to you. And, and the fact that the Lord has given us the privilege, the privilege that in your lifetime I can spend, although it's with some of you only on a Sunday, for a few minutes, our worlds are crossing each other. Are you with me? And in that time that our worlds cross together, I'm looking for encouragement for you, and I'm looking for everything that I can encourage you with. We've only got a short space of life to live, friends. Let's encourage each other. You, there's too many people talking negative in the world. Too many poor, you know, you get in some people's conversation and within the first five minutes you feel, oh man, it's as if the whole block, ton of blocks is just dropped on you. And you say a word of encouragement, but he can't lift it. Come on, be the other side. I, I think I need to continue on because I love the word encouragement. He's going on there and he says, being knit together in love. And, and the picture that he gives here is the picture of taking two fabrics and you bring two fabrics together. Now, if you take a blue fabric and a red fabric, for instance, it's totally two different characters. The character of blue is different than the character of, of red. Now, when you bring them to, together, you knit them together. And look, the strength is in the fabric. The weakness is in the knitting. Are you with me now? If, if I take this shirt, you know, there's no knitting in this patch here. So I can really pull hard, well, except if it's an old shirt, okay. But if it's a new one, you can really pull hard, it's strong there. But if you go to the place where it's knitted together, that's the weak part. He says, in the church, my prayer for you is, you are going to be different uh, characteristics coming into the church. And it's so true and I love it. Diversity, people coming here from different nations, different backgrounds, different upbringings. And you walk into the church here and he says, I, I'm, I agonize and, and I want you to be, be knit together with what? With love. With love. Now, I can go on and, and I, I think I've run out of time, but I can get so excited about the word love now, for instance. Because the word that he uses there for love is the word what? Agape. It is a sacrificial love. Now, in Greek there's five words for love. Did you know that? In English there's one word for love, which makes it really interesting. You know, I, I get from my work, and I'm getting into my car as I walk out of my office at work, and I go, man, I love this job. Is it you as well? I honestly love my job. Then I get into my car and as I put my hands on that steering wheel, I go, what? Man, I love this car. And I'm driving on, on the Monas home and the Monas is really nice. It's big. They've widened it. There's no traffic in front of me. What do I say? Man, I love this road. And I get home and I drive in and I look at the house and I go, man, I love this house. And as I walk in, little Cody comes running up to me and he jumps up to me and I say, man, I love this dog. And I walk over to my lovely wife and I say, I love you. Is it the same love? No. So the Greeks has got five words of love. Agape, which is a sacrificial love which Christ did for us on the cross. Filio, which is a brotherly love. Eros, which the world loves, is erotic love. We know what that is. So they've got these different words of love. Here he says, listen, in the church, when you come together and you've got different backgrounds and characteristics all coming together, I pray that you've been knit together. That, that weakness in the fabric becomes the strength. Are you with me now? That is the strongest part between us now, is what? Is love. And which love is that? Is the love that Christ showed us on the cross is a sacrificial love. The Bible says in 1 John, I'm talking fast now because I've got so much to say, Kylie. It says in, in 1 John, it says that God is what? God is love. God is agape. 
He says they've been knit together in love. Friends, you and I today are knit together in the love of God. Amen. Then it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter whether my forefathers hated the English because they lived in a different... No, no, no. I don't hate the English. I don't hate anybody. I love you with the love of God. Or, or my forefathers were from the Romans and the Greeks didn't love them. And they... No, no. We are knit together with love. But that is the strength that keeps us together. How wonderful is that? I hurry to end because there's so much to say. But I can preach two weeks on these four scriptures because it's so powerful and deep. Can you see the depth of the Word of God? My prayer is just that I don't lose you by getting excited. But let's go on. He says it there. He says, look at this now. He says, knit together in love and attaining to all of the riches in the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both in the Father and Christ in whom we've hidden all the knowledge and wisdom of God. I wanted to go to other scriptures this morning, but I'm going to restrain from that. I'll just say this. He uses the words here, which the Gnostics use. Full assurance. He uses the word perifloria, sinesis, which the Herics used to, to explain the angelic beings. That's what they used to do that. Angelic beings. And he comes to them and says, look, we are not full in, the, in these beings. We are in the fullness of whom? Of Christ. We don't need to look outside of Christ. It's in Him that we have full assurance of understanding. These false teachers were attempting to make Christianity understandable. Listen to this now. This is what we find in a lot of churches today. Let us make us understandable and acceptable to the world. Let the world love us. The reason why they hate us is they just don't understand us. No, it's not true. It's not true. To make it relevant and applicable to the Greek society and culture. This is what the false teacher is trying to do. This is the same motive that draws many of the modern heretics to force the gospel into modern thought forms and categories. You have one man who says the church is a business. It needs to be run like a business. Now you've got CEOs. The pastor is the CEO of the business. <laughs> no, no, no. You see, that is what they did back then. It is happening right now. And he warns against that. In the next couple of weeks and months, we're going to look and dig into that. Why are we doing this? Is, is to, to warn each one of us not to go to that place. Not to be there. The mystery of God is both in, in the Father and in Christ, in whom we are hidden all the treasures. All the treasures. I wanted to take you to so many places now with that, because, friends, it is in Christ that is hidden all of the... If you want to understand God, study Jesus Christ. Because he says it, Thomas came to him. That's where I want to take you. John chapter 14. Thomas came to him. He says to him, show us the Father. Show us the Father. And what did Jesus say? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here he says, in him, in Christ, is all of the, the wisdom and the, the fullness and the knowledge. So if you want to know God, and who's God? Study your word. Because the Bible, he says it. Jesus comes and he says to the Pharisees, the whole Bible, the Old Testament, when he spoke, the whole Bible is written about whom? Him. The whole Old Testament. You say, wow, he talks about the tabernacle and everything in the tabernacle. Every single thing in the Old Testament is a shadow of the substance. Now let me quickly explain that. When the sun shines from that direction and I'm standing here, what falls there? A shadow. So if you come up to me, and you walk right up to me to come and shake my hand and talk to me, and there I stand and there's my shadow, what do you do? Do you go over to my shadow and go, hey John, hey, hey, what's going on man? Give me your hand. Hey, why do you talk to me? You see, it causes confusion. No, no, no. When you come up, you come up to me, because you can actually physically shake my hand. That's the substance. The Old Testament, for a lot of people, is still confusion, and they live in that confusion. But if they just can understand that the substance did arrive on the earth, and He died on the cross for us, 
How wonderful is that? In Him is all of the fullness. Praise the Lord. Can somebody, Rich, can you call um, your mom? In verse 4, he says, Now, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. We're going to look into that more deeper in the coming weeks. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Steadfastness. There's another word which we can dig into and get excited about. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in the established in the faith, as you have been taught, abiding, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Can you see where we are rooted into? We are rooted in Christ. We are rooted in Christ. Amen. Have you got an encouraged heart this morning? Are you encouraged by the Word of God? Practice it. When you walk up to somebody, when you go into a situation, pray. Say, Lord, please help me to be an encourager. Let me encourage. Look, I'm not asking you to be fake. Be yourself. Be yourself. But when you walk up to somebody, think about what I'm going to tell this person now. Is it going to be words which is like honeycomb? Or am I going to bring that person down? You say, but I'm struggling through life and I want to share with somebody. Yeah, there's place for that. There's place for that. Look for an encourager then and go and talk to them. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, I think I've said everything that, uh, that came up in my mind, Father, that was inspired by you. I thank you for your word, Lord. Help us, help us as Paul was agonizing over this for the church in Colossae to be encouragers. Help us not to think of ourselves higher than we ought to. Help us to put others' interest before our interest as, as an example in Jesus Christ who died for us. Help us, Lord.